0: Hello and welcome to My PGCE, a podcast documenting my journey as a trainee teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James B. Good morning. It feels like ages since I last recorded a podcast episode, but in fact, it was only two weeks ago. I think it seems so long because, well, I've been doing a fair amount in between. I actually had a conversation about this with my grandma fairly recently. I have lots of very interesting conversations with my grandma. And she was asking me why time seems to fly. And I remember reading something about this once upon a time. I can't remember where. And apparently, the rate at which. Time seems to pass depends, at least in part, on how many new memories you're forming during that period. If you form lots of new memories, time seems to pass more slowly. If you form very few, time seems to fly. So, for instance, prisoners, when released, often say that. Their time in prison, even if it was years or decades, they say that time seemed to go by in the blink of an eye. And that's perhaps explained by the fact that when in prison, your days are indistinguishable from one another. It's just the same routine day in, day out. No new memories. Maybe that's the real punishment of going to prison. Conversely, if you find yourself in a life or death situation say if you're in a car accident and i've been in this situation people often report that time seemed to slow down basically time seemed to pass very slowly and that and that's perhaps because when you're in a life or death situation your brain goes into Overdrive storing memories. It stores as many memories as possible, as quickly as possible, just in case something in those few seconds may help you get out of that situation alive. So, anyway, it's only been two weeks since we last spoke, but it does indeed feel like a long time because I do find myself on the PGCE. Having lots of new experiences, forming lots of new memories. And so I think time does seem to be passing more slowly. That said, one of the reasons I didn't record an episode last week was because last week, not a great deal was happening. It was half term at school, reading week at uni. So I wasn't in school, nor was I in uni. And I spent most of the week doing a computer science accelerator course, which is designed to give me the subject knowledge required to teach GCSE computer science, because apparently there's a real lack of computer science teachers at the moment, and this course could make me more employable, so I thought it was worth doing. That was two days. I spent two days doing that, and much of the rest of the time I spent working on my essay for university, my maths anxiety essay. I've decided to take that in a slightly different direction. I'm looking at the relationship between maths, anxiety and motivation. So that's what I did during half-term slash reading week. Now this week just gone. I was back at uni, back in school. And so I'll start by giving a quick overview as usual. Monday was university and it was... A subject studies day, so we were again learning how to teach maths, and in particular we learnt about stretch and challenge modelling. We were learning how to stretch and challenge our students. Tuesday was a run-of-the-mill day at school. I did one, two, three, four. I did four maths observations and then an RE observation at the end of the day. So it wasn't that run-of-the-mill, actually, because the RE observation is something I only do once every two weeks at the moment. So that was fun. On Wednesday, I did two observations, and for each of those, I led the starter, and I think my starters are improving. What I've been doing is getting a GCSE question, breaking it down into sub-steps and then having each of those steps as its own question in the starter. And then I have the GCSE question itself right at the end. So by the time the student gets to the GCSE question at the end, they've in fact already done all the work and they've already got the answer. I'm trying to hammer home the fact that you need to write down your working. You need to present your work in steps And this is an issue I've spoken about before on the podcast. A lot of the students struggle to break a problem down into its sub-steps and also seem to struggle to write down their working. And I think those two are related to one another. So yes, with my starters, I'm trying to explicitly show them how to do it within the context of a GCSE question. And they're only year seven and eight students, so I think they find it quite... Exciting to think that they're already doing maths that will appear on their GCSE exam. Already doing maths and getting it right that will appear on their GCSE exam. That was Wednesday. On Thursday, I did one, two, three observations. And again, I led one starter. On Friday, two observations. Again, I led a starter. And then I had my mentor meeting last period, where we discussed mainly lesson planning, because I'm yet to deliver a full lesson. But next week, I will be delivering six. So diving in at the deep end, really. So my mentor was talking me through how I should plan for those lessons. So it's going to be three year seven classes and three year eight classes. And I kind of, I see the rationale in doing six. So once you've picked up one lesson for one class, you might as well pick up all the lessons for that class because often in a lesson you'll pick up where you left off last time. So you get a sense of continuity. And also the year sevens and the year eights are covering the same content at the moment. So in effect, I'll only really have to plan three lessons, but just deliver each lesson twice, once for the year sevens and once for the year eights. So yes, it'll be six lessons next week. So I think I'll have lots to talk about on the podcast this time next week. And then after my mentor meeting, after school, it was, again, staff football, which was really great and continues to be something that I really look forward to at the end of the week. And I think that's mainly because when I'm playing... I'm really just in the moment um quite competitive, never really played football too much before, but the standard isn't too high, so I can get involved and have some impact and I think it's the probably the only time in the week, apart from when I'm asleep, that I'm not thinking about work I need to do for the p g c e so it's just great. I really do like it, and I recommend for anyone else listening, that you do something like that at least once a week where you can completely switch off from work. And staff football seems to be a great way to do that. So if your school hasn't got a staff football gathering, maybe you can start one. Right, that's the overview done and dusted. There are two things I want to zoom in on this week. The first has to do with something that came up at university on Monday, we were talking about motivation and success. So often people think that if you're motivated, then that will lead to success, or at least you have more chance of being successful than if you were unmotivated. But in fact, the direction of causation Also runs in the other direction. So, something that's very important for motivation is what's called self efficacy. So, it's your confidence in your ability to achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And where do you get this confidence? Well, you develop it based on prior success. So in order to be successful you need to be mo- motivated to be motivated you need to be you need to have high self efficacy and to have high self efficacy you need to have success so there's in, in fact there's a loop here between success and motivation mediated by this notion of self efficacy but that raises the question what comes first just like the chicken and the egg does success come first and cause motivation or does motivation come first and cause success and it's a bit of a paradox because because of this looping relationship between the two so i wanted to offer a answer to this question if i may i think that what might ignite this looping system. So what comes first isn't the experience of success, but the prospect of success. So I think that what might give an individual, a child maybe, the initial impetus to become motivated and to become actually successful, I think it's just the prospect of success, so being able to imagine oneself being successful. So before they've had any real success, they've had imagined success, success in their own minds. And I know there've been lots of studies to suggest that the way we react to an imagined scenario is often very similar to the way we react to a real scenario, an actual scenario. What I'm trying to say is the student first imagines having success, say in mathematics and that leads to motivation, kind of like a pseudo motivation to begin with. It's like a um, a tentative motivation, I guess, but that still may be sufficient to lead to actual success. so, They're motivated to try hard, they do try hard, and then they have success in mathematics. And now you've got real success, which leads to perhaps a more substantial form of motivation once it's left the realm of imagination and entered the realm of reality. And I think this is why it's important to introduce students to a whole range of different Successful mathematicians, so successful mathematicians from a variety of backgrounds. Because if a student can see a successful mathematician who's like themselves, who has a similar background, then I think they'll be more likely to imagine themselves as a successful mathematician, because they've already seen someone like them who's actually successful. And once they can do that, that can give them, like I said, the initial impetus to become truly motivated and truly successful. So yes, if we consider this relationship between motivation and success as almost a self-sustaining engine, then I think it's the imagination Imagining oneself as successful that serves as the ignition to start that engine. Okay, the second thing I want to zoom in on is something that came up in a maths lesson I observed on Tuesday. I was observing the head of department teaching algebra in particular, multiplying out single brackets. So expanding sets of brackets, collecting like terms, simplifying them, etc. And he asked the question to the class, why do we do this? What's the point in expanding out all these brackets, collecting like terms, and generally simplifying algebraic expressions? And he said we do it to make life easier, which I thought was great because he he demonstrated how if you were substituting numerical values in for these various unknowns in this unsimplified expression, the calculation you then had to do to work it out was difficult. Whereas if you first simplify the expression and then substitute in the numerical values, the calculation was much, much simpler. So he showed very easily, very efficiently, very effectively, how doing this bit of maths makes life easier. I remember reading in Mr. Barton's How I Wish I'd Taught Maths book, I remember reading about how if maths is the aspirin, then what's the headache? I think that was it. Let me just check. Yes, so it's in the chapter on motivation, a subchapter on providing a purpose. And he's talking about an interview he had with Dan Mayer. Meyer, I'm not sure how to say that. M-E-Y-E-R. And Dan's question is, if maths is the aspirin, then how do you create the headache? So I was close. And here in this lesson, I observed exactly that. The teacher created the headache. He showed how it would be very difficult to substitute numerical values and calculate the total value before simplifying. But once you'd simplified, it became much easier. So in this situation, it was the expanding the brackets, collecting like terms, and simplifying the expression that was the aspirin. So I thought that was really fascinating, and it gave me a lot to think about moving forward. In particular, I want to think about whenever introducing a new mathematical technique, I'll ask myself, how does this make life easier? I'll try to create the headache for my students first of all, before giving them the aspirin, teaching them this new technique which cures the headache and makes life easier, and thereby provides a purpose, which again will hopefully increase motivation levels. Okay, those were the two things I wanted to zoom in on this week. Now, what about my mental health? So ironically enough, during the university session on Monday, where we were discussing motivation, I seemed to have a crisis of motivation. I really just couldn't be bothered. And this seems to be a recurrent theme now. Often on Monday, I seem to just run out of steam. So obviously, I'm very busy Tuesday to Friday in school. It's very tiring, but very enjoyable, but still very tiring. Often my weekends are very busy too, trying to do various jobs, catch up on work, get ready for the upcoming week, and perhaps also visiting my partner up north. And then it seems that all of that tiredness catches up with me on Monday, and I do struggle to engage with the content being taught at university. I'd say that's happened two, maybe three times now. Not every Monday but just sometimes. To put it another way, I ran out of capacity. I no longer had any capacity with which to engage with the session at university. And when in that mindset, it does become very easy to start to slip into catastrophizing and start thinking, oh, why am I doing this at all? But thankfully, that's happened a couple of times now. And I always pull through it by Tuesday. And so I know it's only fleeting, which is always important to remember whenever you're feeling down. But also, I think, from a pragmatic point of view, it just means I need to try to get more rest over the weekend. I need to recharge a little bit better. And so that's my goal for this weekend, despite having six lessons to plan, an essay to write, a reflective journal entry to write, a computer science quiz to take, and countless other jobs to do. Despite all that, I'm going to do my best to rest. And I'll see how my mood is on Monday, see if it's improved, see if I can engage any better with the session. And I'll report back this time next week. If you like the episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at mypgcepod or email mypgcepod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash mypgcepod and helping fund both the podcast and my PGCE course. Thank you and talk again soon.